Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I am! I'm ready! All right, let's do this! Okay, well, first I just want to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there. We love you all. We're very happy that you're there and listening <laughs> to us and downloading the podcast. And we're going to make more podcasts for you. Um, we just want to know we love you. Yeah, we are very excited to see uh, how big we're growing and uh, that we're listened to uh, all over the country and in different uh, countries around the world even. It's uh, really remarkable and glad that you're enjoying it. And uh, we hope to uh, have another one, uh, uh, another great one teed up for you right now. We're very appreciative of all of you. Thank you. Uh, so, for any of you who may just be joining us, uh, the way that the podcast works is that uh, in a moment, I will give my mother the astrological birth data on a random historical figure. Now, you, the audience, already know who this historical figure is. It's in the title of today's episode. I, of course, already know because I selected this figure. But Mom has no idea who this mystery history guest might be. So I will give her only the data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. So that is the birth date, time, and location. Then she will input that into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the stars and planets were at the moment that person was born. She will then give us a blind reading, giving us all the information that she can from uh, the chart based on, uh, and giving us the, uh, the uh, personality traits and the uh, character motivations and the fortunes of this random historical figure. Uh, I will ask her a few discussion questions along the way, and then I will reveal to her who our mystery history guest is. 
I'll give a little background about that person, and then we'll discuss how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person did. So, without further ado, let's begin. This is going to be a male. All right. Born on the 17th of January, 1942. Uh, the uh, time is 6.35 p.m. All right. What country? The United States. All right. And town? Uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Now, from my untrained eye, I would think that this would be another very dynamic chart. Yes, this is a very dynamic chart. The interesting uh, part of this chart is that um, it is very well dispersed. All the planets are, are fairly well dispersed. There's not like, there is a concentration, see? This person has triple Aquarius, double Taurus, okay? So I'm just looking at the different um, aspects of it. I was just studying it really well um, and finding it very interesting that this person has North Node in uh, Virgo in the second house conjunct, oh, is it conjunct? Yes conjunct Neptune in the second house. So, uh, I, you know, I always like to go to the North Node first. Uh, sometimes something else will catch my eye, but in this particular situation, um, or most of the time, I like to go to the North Node. North Node in Virgo uh, would be a person who should be fairly organized, a good communicator, uh, um, a person who is very precise in what they do, as far as uh, their direction, right? Because North Node is the direction. That's the direction you're supposed to be. And second house is ruled by Taurus, which is uh, Venus rules Taurus. So that is pleasurable things, uh, uh, money, um, uh, luxuries, things like this. And, and then having Neptune conjunct in Virgo would mean a very creative way of acquiring these things. Uh, possibly, um, uh, being, you know, a writer or, uh, some person who could be creative in that aspect, creative ways of, of, uh, earning, uh, a living. So there's that. This person also has their ascendant is Leo, 
which would make them, it should make them very gregarious. They should come, when they walk into a room, you know they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person would be able to basically hold court in any room in the world. <laughs> they have a natural <laughs> ability of, uh, and, and they're very, they should be very likable, but also be very strong. Uh, leadership qualities and have kind of a uh, um, uh, a, a lion way about them, like mm-hmm. maybe even great hair or you know or interesting hair. There's always people with Leo rising either have great hair or it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, if I go to this twelfth house, which is karma, you know, which is um, ruled by Pisces, which is then ruled by Neptune. Uh, this person has Pluto in Leo in this house. So this person having Pluto in Leo in the 12th house should make them have distinct, powerful leadership qualities. But dun, 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 they also have Chiron in this house. And that would put that in Leo also. So there are lessons, wounded healer. Chiron is the wounded healer. So from that, it's very karmic. This person also has karma with being a leader. So in the past, perhaps, this person had, uh, in past lives, I mean, uh, this person could have had a very bad situation with being a leader, had to come back to relearn that lesson. Maybe they were a bad leader. Maybe they were an egotistical leader, uh, but they had to learn the lesson, overcome what they needed to overcome so that then they could help others. That's the way it's supposed to work. So, now, now with the Pluto, Pluto also means death and rebirth, right? Yes, which could be that this person was dethroned and put back and dethroned and put back. It can be either one. Either way, Pluto is very powerful, but it also is that burning down of the phoenix and returning. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, great, great, great. So um, this person doesn't have any planets in their third house. It's ruled by Leo. I mean, it's ruled by Libra. And then fourth house is uh, Scorpio. Fifth house is Sagittarius. Sixth house is Capricorn. Now, this person has Sun in Capricorn, but has Moon, Mercury, and Venus in Aquarius in the sixth house. The situation with this person would be that they could come across very fatherly or have a certain level of responsibility, respect with that son in Capricorn, since it is a male. Uh, But this moon, Mercury, and Venus in Aquarius makes them, or should make them, best case scenario, very humanitarian, Mm -hmm. okay? Very humanitarian, very interested in humanitarian ways, uh, groups, and, and caring about the people, all right? So they should be like that. The opposite side of that is complete totalitarianism. So, you know, we've said this before. We have had several people with that you've brought that have Aquarian planets, which have either been on one side of that or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know un- until I find out who it was, which direction they went. Now, um, this is Moon and Mercury in the sixth house would be 
and, and then Venus falls in the seventh house. So, um, in Aquarius though, but this moon and Mercury in the sixth house should make them, uh, I would want to say it, it, their work has to do with humanitarianism, speaking about humanitarianism, philosophizing about humanitarianism, communicating about human events, human things, things that affect humans, or being uh, a rabid, <laughs> a rabid dictator. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's going to be one or the other. But also their mother, with Moon and Aquarius, their mother would have been, uh, would have had those Aquarian traits, would have had some uh, humanitarian aspects. Uh, people who have Moon and Aquarius are, they're Aquarian planets, people with Aquarian planets are otherworldly. Not in the way that people with Pisces planets are. People with Pisces planets are more otherworldly, dreamworldly. People with Aquarian planets feel they don't belong here. They feel that this is, this is a very, um, uh, it can be too hum human for them. They, the emotions and the rabidness of humanity just is not, they, 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 they're above that. Mm -hmm. They don't feel things that way. They, they, things become logical for them. So people with moon and Aquarius will be more logical about their emotions. Does this make sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, but having Venus in Aquarius, this person in, and in the seventh house, this person would also have wanted a partner who wanted to join them in this humanitarian uh, journey. Mm -hmm. Because they want, if if it's a heterosexual man, he would have wanted a woman who had Aquarian values, Aquarian behavior, um, um, a, a person who cared and and also wanted to join them in this journey. Uh, as like like this should have been a very strong, uh, logical, caring partner for them. These are not these are air signs, so they are not going to be deeply passionate or deeply emotional like the water signs and the fire signs would be okay so they're a little bit different now this person also has mars in taurus in the ninth house mars and taurus would make them very very stubborn uh-huh extremely stubborn especially where their philosophies are uh-huh don't even bother trying to argue with this person uh -huh. about philosophy. You will not win because <laughs> it doesn't even matter if they are right. <laughs> They're just not going to get in. Uh-huh. So, and this is a very huge part of this man. Uh-huh. Because Mars is, is, is male and this rules his, this is what drives him. Okay. He's driven by this. It should be very driven by their philosophies, but also it could mean travel. It could mean travel to collect beautiful, opulent things. Um, those are all aspects of that. Uh, tenth house, big tenth house, tenth house, um, tenth house being ruled by Taurus. Oh my Lord. Saturn and Uranus 
and Jupiter. But Jupiter is in Gemini. But this Saturn and Uranus in the 10th house, this person, uh, this lifetime for them, their lesson, like Saturn is lessons, you know, it Capricorn, Saturn rules Capricorn. So it's lessons and, and the, the, the things that you need to learn in this life. And this person had the things they had to learn dealt with their career. This situation is work. So they should have been a very hard worker, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Very adamant about their work. The work must be done. But in this situation, you have to learn how to do the career, right? And in this career, this also, like you have Pluto and, and Chiron here in the 12th house. Here you have that same element with death and rebirth and un unexpected things happening in the career. And with it being Saturn and Uranus, like literally conjunct within five degrees of each other in this 10th house of career, there should have been a lot of surprising turns of events <laughs> yeah. in the career. Like, like, oh, oh, we're doing this now? Well, okay. And then hopefully this person with the Saturn there would have learned to adapt and take that turn. But also having Jupiter in the 10th house, this Jupiter and Gemini is very interesting because it gives a little bit of lightness to that, but it also gives luck and luck in communicative things. You're lucky. Somehow you have the right words. Somehow <laughs> you are able to communicate this in a, in a way that is very fortunate for you. You, you have this fortunate, you, how can I put this? They have like a magic ability to make this work in their, in their, um, and it has to do with communication and anything through the airwaves or, uh, through, uh, any kind of, uh, mercurial, uh, uh um, outlet. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So overall, I would say that this was a very powerful, stubborn person. Uh huh. Uh, personally, if this chart is uh, on the good side, I would feel very honored to be with this person. I would feel like, yes, this person has got this down. Mm -hmm. And so I would feel, um, um, I would enjoy this person's company. And res I feel that I would respect them. If it's all on the light side, I feel this yeah. person's been through something to earn their place mm -hmm. and then should have also reached back down the ladder and help people up. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this person is not without conflict, but this person does have, I mean, the conflicts are there to grow. You know, if there was no conflict, then, you know, how, how, what's the point? You know, we right. don't come, we don't come here to, 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 to just serve. You know, we, there, the storms come and go and the tragedy comes and goes. And so, you know, I feel that um, I feel this is a very, very strong man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say this is a very manly man. Um, uh huh. <laughs> I mean, that Taurus. Yeah, this is. Uh, so um, do you have any questions? Yeah. Um. How would you describe this person's self-esteem? 
I think this person's very happy with themselves. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't feel that this person has an issue with self-esteem. Okay. And uh, how would you, uh, what, what kind of career would you uh, think this person might go into? Um, I would think it, it, it isn't a situation where, uh, this person, oh, any, any career this person is, he's going to be like a bull. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anywhere where he would need strength, um, I, it could be military. It could be, uh, politics. Um, I mean, uh, I, I, I mean, cause we have, but also, yeah, because of the, all of this Aquarian, I think that this person would have a deep, um, it's not when it's Aquarius, it isn't like a passion, like an emotional passion. It is a logical passion. It's like, this is what needs to be done. The world needs to do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to get it done. Yeah, right. And with, uh-huh. And with this, uh, uh, North Node, I mean, with this Mars and Taurus, don't get in this person's way. Mm-hmm. You, you you, need to get out of the way. Because uh-huh. this person's coming through like a tank. Uh-huh. This person is coming like a yeah. tank. Yeah. So I would say any of those things, you know, but definitely connected to worldly humanitarian efforts, like logically understanding this needs to be the way it is. And then, like, uh, getting in a tank and just going towards it. Okay. Uh, how uh, would this person respond to attention? Well, they have Leo rising, so any kind of attention would be greatly appreciated. Because they feel they deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a person who feels that you do need to uh, uh, tell me I'm wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I am. Mm-hmm. I am wonderful. I don't think that this person would have a huge amount, unless this moon in Aquarius would make, it could make them more, um, more humble, you know, having a moon in Aquarius could make them more humble, but that Leo rising, it's hard with Leo rising because anybody who has a fire sign rising feels they are kingly and queenly. Uh huh. So if you have a fire sign rising, those people love adoration. Uh huh. They dig it. And they feel it is it is correct. It's not like oh no. They're like yes, yes it is. Thank you. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much so. Um, can you get any sense here of uh, what role religion might play in their life? Well, they do have Mars in the ninth house in Taurus, so it is possible that they're relig- they could be very very adamant about their religion. You know, ninth house is philosophies and it is, um, but also, you know, you could go and look, I mean, this person could have been, all I can say is their, whatever their opinions are about their spirituality, they are distinct. Like they either are really into it or they're really not. So it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, one or the other. But whatever it is, it is like, this is the line. It's not gray. You know? Right. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
how would this person uh, deal with injustice? Oh, I don't think this person would have been. Uh, uh, this person, I think, is you don't don't do it. Uh-huh. Don't don't do it. Don't go again. Because this uh, it, 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 this is not a person you want to mess with. Uh huh. You don't want to antagonize this person. <laughs> this person could basically eat you alive if they want to. Uh huh. So this is not a person that you want to, you know, go up against with, you know, uh, rigmarole, uh, any kind. Uh, I mean, this person doesn't even have patience for, uh, you know, questions. Maybe. Uh huh. Like, are are you questioning me right now? Uh, you need to go. Right. Go go away. There there are no questions for <laughs> me. I've said what I've said. Uh huh. Now we're done. Right. Okay. Um, this is uh, this is one of the uh, the great readings so far. Um, any other uh, uh, things to uh, to glean out of the chart here? Anything you haven't uh, talked about before that strikes you? I can only hope that I really would like this person, and they weren't like a super super duper male chauvinist. But I'm hoping that this sun, I mean, this moon and Mercury and Aquarius would would lighten that a little bit. Because man. That Mars and Taurus in the ninth house, that scares me a little bit. This person is fierce. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fierce. That's definitely a word uh, <laughs> for... Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Him. Uh, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, give us our summary of uh, the findings from the chart. 
so uh, organized, uh, precise uh, communicator. Uh, money, luxuries, uh, creative and acquiring luxuries. Uh, gregarious, uh, he can hold court. You know when he walks into a room. Strong, uh, many aspects like a lion. Uh, karma with being a leader. Dethroned and put back. Uh, very humanitarian. Philosophize, communicate, care about humanity. Extremely stubborn, especially about philosophy. Travel plays a role in his life. Uh, hard work, adamant about work. Unexpected turn of events with career. Luck with uh, communication. A magic ability with communication. A manly man. Very happy with himself. Deserves attention. Very adamant about religion and fierce. All that sound correct? That's that's what I see. <laughs> okay. So, uh, in order to reveal who this person is, I I, I really have to uh, go into my box of tricks and and pull out an impression. Uh, this is not of the person but of someone who is very important to this person. And uh, if you uh, find this impression annoying, I, I do apologize, but if I had my druthers, I would have done the whole episode in this impression and maybe most of my life. It is one of my favorites. So here we go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to ABC's Wide World of Sports. I'm Howard Cosell. <laughs> Chandler's mom, you are looking at the astrological birth chart of the man who gave us the rumble in the jungle, the thriller in Manila. This is the astrological birth chart of the boxer, formerly known as Cassius Clay, now forever known as Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr. was born January 17, 1942, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, his father, Cassius Sr., uh, was a sign painter. He was a very proud man, uh, but was also an abusive alcoholic. Uh, his mother, Odessa, was a Baptist homemaker uh, who was very kind. Uh, Cassius Clay Jr. was sort of the melding of both of these uh, two people. Uh, he grew up in the segregated Jim Crow South, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, one of the stories that very much impacted him was uh, while uh, he and his mother uh, were out shopping, uh, he went to a drugstore and he was thirsty, and uh, he went to the counter and asked for a glass of water, and the uh, drugstore was segregated. Uh, he was uh, denied a glass of water. Uh, because he was an African-American man uh, trying to go to uh, uh, just the, the counter of, the, of this white drugstore. 
uh, at the age of 12, uh, Clay uh, had his new Red Schwinn bike. Uh, this was uh, one of his, uh, uh, the pride and joy, his uh, his take it to freedom was this red Schwinn bike. Uh, he parked it outside uh, on the street and he went into a symposium of uh, African-American business owners, uh, looked to see uh, all the different products that they were selling. Uh, he came out of the symposium and saw that his new Schwinn bike was stolen. Uh, he went straight to uh, a gymnasium because he knew that there was a police officer uh, named uh, Joe Martin who ran a uh, gymnasium, and he went to the officer uh, trying to get him to uh, try and find the bike, and uh, if if the officer wouldn't find the bike, uh, he was going to find it himself, and he was going to whoop up the guy who did it, who stole the bike. Uh, Joe Martin said that it would be pretty important for him to learn how to fight first. And so uh, from the age of 12, uh, Clay started uh, his journey uh, into uh, becoming uh, a trained boxer. Uh, he uh, amateur boxed uh, from 1954 to 1960. He won a gold medal at the, uh, in the light heavyweight category at the 1960 Rome Olympics. He came back to the United States, a gold medal winner, someone who had represented his country and, and gotten the, the highest award that you could. And he was still treated as a second-class citizen, someone who could not be served at drugstore counters, just the same as when he was a young boy. Uh, this uh, very much enraged him. Uh, that uh, the, a, a country that was supposed to be born of freedom and equality uh, would not treat him with respect. Uh, Clay, uh, by the time of 1960, he had his sights set on the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, he had a hard time uh, getting publicity, so he perfected the art of trash-talking. Uh, he talked about how fast, how strong, and how pretty he was uh, to anyone who would listen, and he started getting people to come in to see his fights. Most of them came to these fights to see this young upstart get this braggart uh, get absolutely clobbered, but stayed when they saw how good he was to witness the magnificent maestro at work. In 1963, uh, Clay... Uh, felt that he was ready to take on the world heavyweight champion. That was Sonny Liston. Uh, Sonny Liston was a mafia enforcer. He was uh, what everyone believed was a, a huge man. Uh, Clay called him the Big Ugly Bear. Uh, at one point, he got his bus to drive up onto the yard of uh, Sonny Liston, clamoring, I want the bear, I want the bear. He would uh, come to press conferences with a bear trap, saying, I'm ready to take on the bear. He said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to take on this ugly bear, and then I'm going to donate him to the zoo. Uh, Liston, by the time that they actually agreed to fight, uh, Liston was scared of Clay because he thought that Cassius Clay was actually insane. Uh and uh, when they uh, got into the ring, everyone figured out that, uh, you know, everyone thought that Cassius Clay was this young, skinny kid. Uh, but when the robes came off, Cassius Clay was actually bigger than Sonny Liston. 
Liston would actually stuff his robes with towels to make him look bigger. And so then when that when the robe came off, Clay was bigger, Clay was faster. Uh, they went uh, six rounds, uh, and at the uh, end of uh, round seven, uh, Sonny Liston refused uh, to get back into the ring. Um, Clay uh, won by technical knockout. At the age of 21, Cassius Clay became the heavyweight champion of the world. He went to the ring, he went to the microphone, he said, I am the greatest. I shook up the world. I am the prettiest thing that ever lived. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Cassius Clay changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Uh, he declared that he was a follower of Elijah Muhammad uh, and the Nation of Islam. Uh, so while he was uh, coming up, he was exposed uh, to this idea of the Nation of Islam. And uh, this was really a radical thought in the uh, early days of this uh, civil rights movement of the 1960s. Uh, he started uh, learning with Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad about uh, what Islam was, and that uh, at, at this time, especially uh, with these people, that they believed that uh, Christianity was a uh, it was introduced to the African American community through slavery. It was uh, uh, it was taught to the African American community as a way of keeping them in their place, and these uh, people in the Nation of Islam believed that. Um, you know, Islam is, is a religion that's practiced in Africa. It is an African religion as much as anything else, and that it was a way of uh, uh, developing agency for themselves, that um, uh, many ways Christianity and the whole rest of society in uh, the United States in the 1950s and 60s was about keeping African Americans down and in their place, and that um, really prohibited masculinity prohibited black men from being manly because they were supposed to be subservient. And so through um, Elijah Muhammad, uh, Ali uh, discovered that there's a whole nother thought process, a whole nother philosophy about living life, and that uh, black men should not be kept down like this, and that this is the way that they are going to um, get out of uh, uh, these the troubles uh, that their people were, were kept in. Um, so he changed his name to Muhammad Ali, and this was very radical. And and you know this is the early '60s still, 1963, uh, that that he's doing this, and uh, many people thought that he was radicalized. That now the heavyweight champion of the world, one of the most recognizable uh, people in the United States, was actively campaigning against the United States. They uh, were very afraid of what the Nation of Islam was. Uh, and uh, this continued on through uh, the most of his career. In 1965, uh, Muhammad Ali uh, defeats uh, Sonny Liston again. Uh, this, <laughs> What's uh, wrong with the Sonny Liston guy? Why does he keep coming back for more? I, I so there are all sorts of of reasons uh, of what were what was was going on here. Uh, the fight lasted less than two minutes. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Sonny Liston was knocked out uh, in what people call the phantom punch. Uh, it was a punch that was barely even caught on the cameras. A lot of people thought that Sonny Liston actually took a dive. Sonny Liston had connections with the mafia. 
And they thought that the mafia put this whole thing together uh, and they bet on Muhammad Ali and told Liston to go down uh, early. And then that would, uh, you know, then they would all win these bets. Uh, Liston later said that he was he went down so early because he was afraid of the nation of Islam, that if he did actually win against Ali, the nation of Islam would come out and, and could assassinate him, which the nation of Islam did do to people who they disagreed with, such as Malcolm X. Uh, so there are all sorts of stories uh, of what happened during the second title fight. Um, Muhammad Ali was very upset that Liston went down so early because he said that day, nobody's going to believe this. Nobody's going to believe that I took you down again if you go down this early. Um, but that's what happened in 1965. In February of 1966, the United States Draft Board uh, reclassified Ali uh, as 1A. Uh, the uh, draft board was needing men to go out and fight uh, in Vietnam. Uh, when he heard that his uh, classification had been changed to 1A, which is uh, the most eligible to be in the draft, uh, he famously said that he was not going to go fight in that war, that no Viet Cong ever called him the N-word. Um, in April, April 28th of 1967, Ali refused induction into the U.S. Army on account of being a conscientious objector on religious grounds. Uh, he said that uh, according to uh, the Nation of Islam, according to uh, the Prophet Muhammad, uh, the Vietnam War was an unholy war, that he had no qualms with the Viet Cong, that this was another way of the uh, white man uh, uh, bringing oppression to a foreign land, that he was going to have no part in this war. Uh, his uh, license to fight uh, was rejected in all 50 states, and his passport was revoked. So now, the heavyweight champion of the world can no longer fight in the United States and can no longer legally go to any other country to fight. Uh, he uh, was uh, no longer able to practice his uh, 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 profession. And uh, the impact uh, that this had across the United States... Uh, uh, many people uh, were on both sides of this. Uh, some were saying that it was wrong that this man who was given everything or uh, was the heavyweight champion of the world, that this country had given him fame and fortune, and now he was not going to go up and fight uh, uh, for the United States, uh, that that was wrong. Some people uh, in, in lower and uh, middle class were saying, our boys have to go over and fight in this war. Why do you think that you're so good that you don't have to go and fight in this war? Others were saying that he's a champion, that he was uh, uh, standing up for what he believed in. He sacrificed everything. He sacrificed his, uh, uh, his wealth and fortune and fame uh, for something that he truly believed in, that the Vietnam War was a wrong, unjust war. Uh, this uh, continued from 1967 throughout 1970. Uh, he went uh, all over uh, uh, the, the country to all these different colleges, spoke to all sorts of different uh, sports announcers, especially uh, Howard Cosell, uh, about uh, what the war was doing and about how wrong it was and how wrong it was for him not to be able to fight. Uh, these were the prime years of his life uh, from uh, uh, 20. Uh, 7 to 30, he essentially wasn't able uh, to practice his craft, wasn't able to fight. In 1970, the city of Atlanta granted Ali a license to fight. 
Uh, so he was finally able to come back. Uh, and that same year, the Supreme Court uh, decided in uh, Muhammad Ali's favor, saying that uh, he did not have to go to Vietnam, that uh, he was a conscientious objector. Um, and by this point in, in 1970, 71, the tide had really turned for the American public, and they were really uh, fatigued by the Vietnam War and did not feel that it was a just war anymore and really started to rally towards uh, Ali. In 1971, uh, Ali lost to the heavyweight champion Joe Frazier uh, in the first professional, uh, this was his first professional defeat. Uh, the 1970s would really be categorized by his uh, bouts with Joe Frazier. In 1974, uh, there was uh, the famous Rumble in the Jungle. Uh, this, was happen uh, this happened in Zaire, and it was against the new heavyweight champ, George Foreman. Uh, George Foreman was a, a young uh, a champion. He was uh, from Houston, Texas. Uh, if you only know George Foreman from his portable grills, uh, you don't even know the beginning of of the the champion fighter that this man was. Uh, and uh, in 1974, uh, Ali agreed. Well, really, George Foreman agreed to take on Ali uh, in Zaire, uh, this country in Africa. Um, in the lead-up to the fight, George Foreman was focused on himself. He was focused on getting in the uh, uh, training, getting the training in to take on Ali. Muhammad Ali was out amongst the people. Uh, he was getting all of the people of Zaire on his side. Uh, he, uh, there was this chant that all the people in Zaire, they were saying, Ali, Bumaye, Ali, Bumaye, which means Ali, kill him, Ali, kill him. Oh, he no. was getting everyone rallied on his side. George Foreman was very much going in there uh, as a villain to these people in Africa. Uh, uh, this is uh, the uh, 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 really wh where we get the term rope-a-dope. Uh, so Ali, in his early fights, he was the fastest. He was the strongest. You see his feet move. You see how he's working youth was really on his side now it's 10 years later he's in his 30s and so what ali does in these fights is called rope-a-dope so he goes against the ropes and george foreman just lays into him round after round giving him everything that he's got punishing blows you can see the physics of these blows work through ali's body and then work through the ropes themselves uh and and ali would just take the punishment and then at one point uh, in one of the later rounds, George Foreman laid this huge, humongous blow against Ali. And Ali just whispered in his ear, is that all you got? Is that all you got, George? <laughs> oh, at that awesome. point, George goes, uh, in his, later on in interviews, he goes, yeah, that was all I got. That was everything that I was giving. <laughs> And so what ha after round after round of punishing blows, George Foreman was tired. He was exhausted. And that's when Ali opens up on him uh, and uh, knocks him out. And Ali again became the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, in 1975, uh, this is uh, the Thrilla in Manila. Uh, so Joe Frazier, who uh, was the uh, heavyweight champion of the world, uh, wants to uh, take on uh ali again uh, uh to get the ch uh, the uh title back uh 
Ali uh, trains. Uh, he says that he's been. Uh, th- this is one of the great quotes. He he goes to the press. He says, "I've done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. Handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make the medicine sick." Uh-huh. Uh. <laughs> This was one of the, uh, uh, I mean, essentially one of the greatest fights of the 20th century. Uh, this fight in Manila, the, they were two equally matched opponents. Uh, uh, it was round after round. And again, Ali taking the punishment, doing rope-a-dope, getting mm-hmm. to the ropes, and round after round of Joe Frazier just beating and beating and beating him. Uh, Ali would later say that this was the closest he ever felt to dying. Uh, was just taking this punishment. And then uh, after 15 rounds, uh, Frazier uh, d- decided that he was not going to come back out. And uh, Ali was still the heavyweight champion of the world by technical knockout. Uh, Ali continued fighting uh, throughout the 70s, uh, but he's uh, in his late 30s by this time. Uh, he uh, lost and won the title back mm. against Leon Spinks, uh, so th- making him the first person ever to win the heavyweight champion uh, of the world three separate times. Uh, he continued fighting uh, into 1980 and 1981. Uh, people were, were clamoring for him to retire, that he was getting to 39, 40 uh, these, you know, taking the punishment of young men beating on him uh, was really affecting him physiologically. People were clamoring for him to retire, uh, but he continued stepping into the ring. Uh, there was an absolutely uh, disastrous battle against Larry Holmes, uh, where you just see uh, uh, someone who's approaching 40 being pummeled by a young man. Uh, uh, but he continued to get in the ring, but he, he did lose to Larry Holmes. Um, after 1981, he did finally decide to retire. And uh, he continued uh, his appearances on uh, talk shows and on uh, uh, shows across the world, uh, but really started to focus on his philanthropy work, on humanitarianism, on going around the world, supporting charities, creating charities, creating these ways to uh, help uh, these people uh, who were downtrodden, try and uh, help them uh, lead better lives. In 1984, Muhammad Ali was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Uh, and he uh, worked uh, very hard uh, uh, eventually with people like Michael J. Fox and others uh, to uh, get more uh, research done uh, to help uh, people with Parkinson's uh, lead better lives. In 1996, at the uh, Atlanta Olympics, uh, Muhammad Ali was uh, the one who lit the torch. Uh, by this point, he was one of the most beloved uh, figures uh, of American life. Uh, if you had told someone in 1967 that in 1996 he would be one of the most beloved figures, th- they wouldn't believe you because of how controversial his views were looked upon in the 60s. But by 96, he had, uh, uh, everyone had come around to his view uh, of things. Um, truly by uh, 96 and then uh, he still lived another 20 years after that 
um, people recognized that this was a man who stood up for what he believed in. Uh, he was the embodiment of everything that we uh, uh, value as Americans. He was an independent thinker. He was a fierce fighter. Uh, he truly was the greatest. Uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, he died on June 3rd uh, of 2016. Uh, and really, uh, his whole life uh, really showed uh, uh, everything that, that we talked about here. The, the fierce fighter, uh, hard work, uh, fortunate, uh, but a, a, a very good communicator. Uh, you know, for someone who uh, was dyslexic and did not receive a good education, he's really also one of the greatest poets uh, of the 20th century, too, uh, with uh, how he expertly uh, did his trash talk and his fights. Um, Muhammad Ali definitely uh, goes down as, as one of the greatest that ever lived. Absolutely. I, I have to say that growing up, in the 60s and 70s and i mean watching muhammad ali and listening to his poetry and just thinking this is amazing the way this man puts words together is the most unique thing i've ever heard and it's so inspirational and it, it didn't matter it wasn't so much about I mean, he could say anything he, it, like the phrase that you said about a rock and a brick. It, it just was the power behind what he was saying and the way it went through you mm -hmm. and, and knowing what an amazing creature he was. He's just amazing and, and, and should forever be remembered. You know, um, hopefully he will be forever be remembered because he was um, he was he was quite a man. Yes. And, and and set the uh, precedent for actors and and uh, sports figures and people today that you know d just because you want to put them into different boxes and and th they're human beings and they deserve to have uh, their thoughts expressed just the same as anyone else and when these people take stands for things that they believe in whether we agree with it or not they are very much following uh, the lead that Muhammad Ali. Uh, 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 took uh, back in the 1960s. Absolutely. He definitely blazed a trail. And I believe that many different communities, sports communities, you know, humanity, everything, uh, benefited mm -hmm. from this man's um, efforts in all of these areas. And I don't know, I'm assuming you know, that with that North Node in Virgo, he diligently planned the things that he was doing. They didn't just fly out of his head. He he had definite um, arrangements for the way that he would portray things and have them come out. Clearly he did. I mean, just from what you said about how everything went down in Africa, that was a campaign. Mm -hmm. That was a full-blown mm -hmm. campaign that doesn't just come off at the top of your head that's extremely planned yeah amazing mm -hmm. i love it uh well uh on our scale of uh right on the money to way out in outer space i think this chart has it all it really is uh, right on the money explains uh, a lot about them yes now. it does that's amazing that's very interesting science 
very interesting designs. Uh, well, uh, this concludes another episode of History and Retrograde. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you uh, for all of the uh, downloads and the support that you've given us. And uh, uh, for those of you uh, just coming along, uh, please uh, like, share, subscribe. And uh, it all, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. We love you lots. Thank you. Keep listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.